Stag. Man and his amazing friends. Hello, Steg fans and amazing friends out there. Welcome to another episode of Stegman and His Amazing Friends. I am not the internet's best friend, the very supple Griffin Sheridan. Uh, he had to bow out this week uh, as he, you know, he, he got too supple for his own good. Um, and uh, he, But he is here, you know, taking my role of the silent producer. I am the usually silent producer, Ethan, and I'm here, as always, with the wonderful Ryan Stegman. Hello. Say hi, Ryan. Yeah, there you go. And uh, joining us this week is a, is an amazing guest. We got we got the the legendary Charles Soul here with us. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here. Uh, you guys worked together on uh, Inhuman once upon a time, uh, and mm-hmm. you're good friends in real life as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's cool. It's uh, this is another one of those episodes that I think is going to go really well since you guys know each other personally. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I believe we started working on Inhuman the year that Newsarama called us the number one and number two creators to watch in the comic book industry. Wow! <laughs> you know, I I didn't I didn't know that Ryan, but honestly, uh-huh. it's no surprise. It's no yeah. surprise. <laughs> I mean, Obviously. Newsarama Newsarama has its finger on the pulse. It always has. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles, uh, how are you doing, man? How's how's everything going? Uh, it's, it's going very well. Um, there's a lot happening right now. It's very exciting. Um, I, uh, have mostly just been watching Ryan's career explode, uh, which has been, which has been a joy to see. Um, because he is, you know, I, I love working with Ryan's, which is something I'm sure we'll get to in, in the course of the, of the conversation tonight. But Ryan Stegman is one of my easily top 10 Ryan's I've ever worked with easily. Oh yeah. I mean, you've, you've run the gamut, but yeah. How many is it? Is it just me and Ryan Brown, or is it more? <laughs> um, I think there are other there are. Have other you worked Ryans. with Ryan Kelly? Uh, yes, I've worked with Ryan Kelly. He did okay. an issue of Letter Forty Four, which was great. Um, there was a time when I was working with three Ryans at once, which was fantastic. It was Ryan Kelly, Ryan Brown, and and uh, Ryan. There's another one too, Ryan. Uh, All right, well, he's had a good selection to work with, and you're still his favorite. Ryan, That's saying something. No, he said top ten. Stegman. Stegman. Yeah, uh, no, no, no. 10. Stegman. I, I adore Stegman. But he's not my. He's not my favorite Ryan. I mean, the uh, hard thing. The hard thing with Ryan Brown too is that. Uh, yeah. Ryan Brown is from Gross Point, Michigan. I'm from Troy, Michigan. We live very <laughs> near each other, and we're a week apart in age. Yes. Um, so, so that's really been the, the tough thing. Yeah. Um, it is. It is funny. Uh, so to explain this, right, so I do a, a series for Image called Curse Words, um, which is a delightful romp. Uh, it's about a wizard who is a total dick and uh, does really mean things in New York City. And it's super fun. And I do it with um, another Ryan named Ryan Brown, who is a brilliant sort of, I mean, how would you describe, like, he's I, he's he's like a visual satirist. He's, he's yeah. like... His, his, it's all, it's, everything has like a... A humor aspect but it's still really well illustrated so it's like i don't know yeah i don't know how you describe it but it's, it's pretty I, I, awesome. I mean i think every panel has a level of imagination and uh-huh. and and ideas in it like he packs more ideas into any single image or single panel than than you know every artist except ryan stegman mm-hmm. um so yeah um but the thing that ryan brown is able to do that's extraordinary is really get so much humor into the into the into every single panel he's he's Humor in comics is really hard. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but I think it's really hard to do. And, Absolutely. Well, I haven't done it, really. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. So. Well, like, humor comics, they don't, they, it's not like they don't exist. I mean, you think about, like, you know, 
you know, Sunday newspaper strips, those are humor comics, right? So it's it's obviously mm-hmm. something exists, but in, in terms of like monthly comics, like in terms of, you know, 22 pages, it's not very common. And so Ryan Brown is able to bring like an extremely high level technical level of technical skill to what he does, but also bring the humor in a really serious way. So he's, he's really, really fun to work with. Um, he's no Ryan Stegman. Ryan Stegman brings a very different set of skills, but, uh, just but no, yeah. no jokes in mind. Mine's all, mine's all dire. It's got to have a lot of heavy black <laughs> the, people the, are bleeding. Yes. punching each other. The They're fate angry. of the world, fate angry. of the world at stake. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and for well, the record, issues... Ryan, you're in the top 10 Ryans that I've produced a podcast for. So, Oh, thank you so much. That's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many issues is Curse Words now? So Curse Words is, is about to wrap up its storyline, which is which is great. Um, we have 25 numbered issues, and then there are three specials. So, so all in all, it's basically 28 issues. Um, and, you know, it's a creator-owned book. So doing a creator-owned book that runs to 28 is... Is awesome. I mean, we we got to do the full story that we wanted to do, and we feel very proud of it. So, um, it was you know it, it when you when you start a creator on book, you kind of have have kind of a hierarchy of goals, right? And and in there somewhere is you know it's super successful. It's making a ton of money. It's doing all these things. It's the white. It's the next Walking Dead, um, which honestly is unrealistic because there hasn't been a next Walking Dead since the Walking Dead. So, the real goals I think for a creator on series these days are like finishing it, making it complete, telling the story you actually want to tell. Uh, and, and it's harder than you think because Mm -hmm. pushing a series past, you know, honestly, six to 10 issues these days is really, really challenging because of the way the retailers work and the way that the market works. And there's always new material coming out. So getting to do a series that we, we were able to take all the way to the finish line and tell exactly the story we want to tell with every single beat intact, you know, make, make money off it, have a fan base, the whole thing. We're, you know, we opted for TV, like the whole thing. We're very proud of it. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's great. Yeah. Um, has that been announced? No. And so, which is, which is a little bit <laughs> exclusive. It's a, we did yeah. it. <laughs> no, it's, it's a little, <laughs> yes. it's, it's with, it's a little frustrating, honestly, because we opted it to a company that we love, um, that we're very excited about working with, but they wanted to wait to talk about it until the time was right for them. And, so it's just kind of it, it. It's we're like, but if we announce it now, the comic's going to get a boost. It's going to be really good for us. Like, okay, yes, but we really want to wait until the time is right for the you know the TV show that we're going to be making. So it's very thrilling, and Ryan and I are very excited about it. We've gotten paid, all those things that you want to have happen, except for the fact that nobody knows about it. So congratulations, Stegman Show. I guess you have a little exclusive. Um, is is it going? Is the show going to be called Curse Words or Wizard? <laughs> um, it, well, it, at this point, it's being developed as curse words. But the, the original title of it, as you know, was Wizard, yeah. um, which was I still think it was a, a pretty rad title, um, Wizard the Wizard. But curse words is good too, though. Curse words is like is better. That's you know? super exciting. I can't wait for them. Yeah. Well, we'll see if it happens. I mean, whenever you option something, it doesn't necessarily mean anything's going to ever exist. But it's it's still mm-hmm. it's still pretty thrilling. And and we it's one of those little. You know, like I said, you have a hierarchy of goals when you do a creator on series and, and you know, getting it an endorsement through all ancillary media is a is a nice thing. And mm-hmm. uh, we what we were very both Ryan and I were sort of I don't know if nervous is the right word, but we we created the series that is just a reflection of our own sensibilities, right? It's it's our sense of humor, it's our sense of storytelling, it's all that stuff. And we weren't sure if anyone else would like that because it's it's very specific to us. And so getting 
again, like a fan base that supported it through the whole run, a uh, a Hollywood option, all those different bits and pieces really made us feel pretty good about it. So, how did you and Ryan start working together in the first place? I think I know this. Was it through the uh, email chain or whatever? Mm, we met initially a guy named B Claymore. You know B Claymore, okay. right? Yeah. So Clay Clay introduced us at uh, HeroesCon in. Um, in Charlotte, North Carolina, like years and years ago. And Ryan was doing a book called God Hates Astronaut at the time. God Hates Astronauts. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, it's, it's, God Hates Astronauts is one of these books that virtually every comics creator knows as mm. this extraordinary work of, of sort of comic surrealism. But of insanity. Outside, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so funny. It's, it's a superhero book, but. It's so funny and so strange, and whenever you open it, you you realize that you're dealing with a mildly de- mildly or greatly deranged point of view that is really really good at telling you know drawing and telling superhero comics mm-hmm. so, uh, stories. So we uh, so I saw at that point he had like an ash can or like an early issue or something like that, and I, I read that and I was like, oh my god, this guy's amazing, and so I just you know I just became friends with him. Um, yeah, the Michigan because, connection and everything. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And so it, it, it just was really one of those things where we liked talking to each other. We liked making each other laugh. And so over the years, it was years and years. I mean, that was probably 2010 that I met him. And, and over a number of years, we're like, we should really do a book together. And then eventually, the stars aligned. I mean, I, I had a ton of Marvel work. A lot of it was with you, Ryan, but um, and a lot of other things. And so what I've kind of learned is that I, I generally speaking, can only do one creator own book at a time. One big, mm-hmm. you know, ongoing creator own book. And... I had a book before Curse Words called Letter 44. When that was about to wrap up, I'm like, well, Ryan, this is really the time. And, and he was finishing uh, a chunk of God Hates Astronauts. And so it, it really, it just sort of worked out. And and it's it's been one of the best projects I've done. Um, and I'm really super, super, super proud of it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of creator-owned projects, do you want to talk about uh, Undiscovered Country here? I, I do. Um, I sent you the first issue of it. I read it. I read what it did you think about it? Oh, it's awesome. Thanks, man. I mean, I don't I really want to spoil it. anything, but yeah, no, I thought it was great. I, I really enjoyed the, uh, I mean, you had, there's a lot of characters, which mm-hmm. can be difficult in the comic book, but you sure. know, Giuseppe's good at differentiating them, and yeah. they all had their own voices, and I mean, aside from that, I don't want to give, I mean, there's a pretty awesome twist in there, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was great. Um. Do you want to tell say what the premise is? Do you want me to say what the premise is, or? Uh, so the I can I'm afraid I'm going to spoil it, but the U.S. is <laughs> sectioned off, and it, nobody's been there for how many years? Was it thirty? Thirty years, yeah, thirty years. And uh, they, it's people going back into the into those inside those walls for the first time, and uh, all hell breaks loose. Yeah. So so that was that was very good. Um, the way Thank I you. would do it. <laughs> is to say that um, calamity ensues yes so so like basically right around now the united states is beset with all these crises and and as it as it may or may not actually be in the real world and so they decide to just one day out of nowhere the u.s is like well borders are closed nobody's coming in or out whoever's in is staying in whoever's out is staying out um they enact uh satellite kind of blockage so you can't see what's going inside um there's like there's all these defense systems that go up and then literal walls get built up so mm-hmm. no one there's no there's no trade there's no communications there's no pop culture like just one day from one day to the next the united states is closed and nothing comes in or out for 30 years it's sort of like the closest analog we have in in the modern world is probably north korea 
but then in, if you go back further, you've got like Japan when Japan was was sealed itself off for so long from the from the outer world, and um, so so no one has any idea what has happened in the world. Uh, and, and all these things happen, you know, we did a lot of research to sort of figure out what would happen to the world if the United States went away. Um, we talked to, uh, we have kind of a, a quote unquote retired CIA agent who's been a big advisor for us. He's not retired at all. He's a very terrifying person. Um, but he, uh, it's not Tom King. It's another person. (laughs) Um, so, so he, he gave us a lot of ideas about how to approach that, that concept, um, in part because the United States for a long time has wargamed or, or sort of worked through a scenario where that would actually happen, which is called Fortress America, or how would the, if the United States needed to not rely on the rest of the world at all, how would they do it? Mm-hmm. So we got a lot of concepts and ideas from him. He took us to this place called DARPA, which is in DC. It's like their, their crazy think tank for futuristic ideas. And, and we put all that into a story about what might happen to both the outer world and inside the United States if it tilt itself off. Um, and so it's 30 years later, and there's this this massive epidemic, this pandemic raging through the rest of the world. It's called the sky, sky virus. And uh, everybody See, dying. all this stuff I thought would have been spoilers, but... <laughs> no, 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 this is premise. This is premise. Um, and, and, a, uh, and no one knows what to do. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill the world. And then a message comes from in th- inside the United States. First signal of any kind that's been heard in 30 years. And it says, you know, hey, guys... Uh, we actually have a cure for this, and we've been paying attention to what's been happening out there, and we're willing to negotiate to release it with you. So, so come in, and uh, you know, send send a mission in, send a diplomatic mission in, and we will we'll see what we can do. And if things go well, maybe we'll even open back up back up to the world again. It could be really good. So, a mission of seven people goes in, and there's like you know, there's a couple diplomats, a couple soldiers, a couple doctors, all these different people, journalists. So they all fly in, and um. And, and they're immediately shot down just over the border. And they land in this crazy, like, like it's it's insanity. There's, like, giant, <laughs> giant walking fish and, and, and I don't know, it's, it's, the, the, it's run by this guy called the Destiny Man. And it's, it's very, uh, it's not what they're expecting. Let's put it that way. It's, not what I expected either. Well, that's, that's what we hope, right? Like, we yeah. don't want to give you what you're expecting. Right. And so uh, they now have to figure out what the hell's going on. And, and the, the story of the book will them will be this group journeying through the United States, the change United States, to see what it's become and, and what's actually going on in there. Because the message they were, like the cure and the message, the invitation, all that was kind of, it wasn't bullshit, uh, but it's extraordinarily complicated, like what what's actually going on. So so that's the story, like what's happening in the United States uh, and 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 what do we see as we, go, as we go on that journey? So we start kind of in the Southwest, like Arizona, Nevada, and then we go in this big spiral, seeing all the different parts of the country. So that's it. And you, on this one, you're working with uh, Scott Snyder as a co-writer. How long have you guys had this um, idea percolating? Well, Scott and I have been friends for a long, like a long, long time. Um, we we started hanging out, I guess, probably not like a little bit before you and I did, Ryan, because he was yeah he was the writer of, of Swamp Thing mm-hmm. before I took that over, and so that's when I started talking to him. Um, and we have a lot in common. We have, I mean, we're sort of very different, but also very similar in different ways. And we've wanted, it's just like me and Ryan Brown, right? We've wanted to do something together for a long time and to create our own level. Because when you work at DC and Marvel on these massive characters, it's phenomenal, right? Like writing Wolverine, writing Humans, writing Batman, whatever the characters are, Daredevil, they're always super, super fun. But 
being able to take an idea and explore it yourself and, and push it to really wherever you think it should go without worrying about, well, you know, Daredevil would never do this or Wolverine would never do this or Batman. Um, it's really liberating. And so we've wanted to do something for a long, long time. And so we came up with the basic concept about, I want to say two, two and a half years ago. But then, you know, as you know, we've talked about creator on stuff for a long, long time. We've talked about doing creator on stuff for a long, long mm-hmm. time. But, you know, finding the window is really hard. Right. And and finding, so so for this project, it was it was triply complicated because we had to find a window for Scott and me to both be able to write it. And then we also had to find an artist who was at the level that we felt would really work for something like this, um, who also had a window. And so we ended up finding uh, or settling on, not settling on, that's really the, being lucky <laughs> enough to find, being lucky right. enough to, to find um, Giuseppe Camicoli, uh, right. Camo. And Camo and I had done a, a, a run on Darth Vader that was extremely well received. We, we had a great time working together. He's really fast. He's really sharp. He's really good. And he had also been looking for a creator-run project, so it uh, it just worked out. Like it, sometimes everything just kind of aligns with this really like solid like chunk, and that's how Undiscovered Country is felt. We, uh, you know, we just announced the movie deal for that a week or two ago. Um, so, you know, which is amazing. Like the movie, it's being going to be made into a movie. Scott and I are going to write it. Um, I don't know. It's oh, pretty... I didn't know that too. So that that is that was that info in the release. Uh, uh, no, it just, it was released, um, during the Toronto film festival. It's a company called new Republic. They did black Swan and a bunch of other cool films. They're really, really sharp and really great. And so they, they acquired the rights to, to, to make the movie, to make a trilogy access what they want to do. And they have Scott and I are writing the first movie. So, you know, we might screw it up. Who knows what will happen, but it's, it's an, it's an opportunity that, we are very excited about and have wanted both of us have wanted to do this for a long time and we feel like the core concept is so strong that we really could hopefully do something really cool i don't know uh i did notice that there were quite a few characters in there that uh i could (laughs) i could play (laughs) yes absolutely um Uh, so if you could get me an audition that'd be cool well i will say this thing this this will help you there's a lot of characters that have masks on yeah (laughs) so So that could be good yeah just so deliver the lines. So twenty eight pounds is that what I heard? As yeah. I saw on Twitter. Yeah, that's amazing. How'd you? I mean, do I that? was getting fat. Let's be honest. <laughs> I would never say that. I would never say that. <laughs> We're very good friends. I would never say such a thing. Going for um, the Hollywood yeah. body now. You got into comic trying... art so that you could work your way to acting. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I I I feel like in two years I'm going to be forty. Um, I just want to go into forty, not not fat. <laughs> okay, that's a very that's a very straightforward goal. Are you? St- I mean, yeah. we used to talk about running all the time. Do you still run a bunch or no? I I actually do the Peloton. We got a Peloton bike. Oh yeah, that um, has like the the video screen and all that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I do that a lot, and I do some weight stuff, but not enough. <laughs> well, there's always more things to lift. So here right? we are. They're gonna be looking for a new Wolverine soon. So I'm gonna have to lose about eight inches of height if I'm gonna do that <laughs> at least. Yeah. Yeah, Griffin. Griffin, get in there. They need a supple Wolverine. <clears throat> I did write a little thing. I was I was texting Griffin about what we should talk to you about, and I just mm-hmm. wanted to read it to you real quick. Um, because you do so many things, yeah. I had to write it down. Uh, <laughs> I have Inhuman with me. You're the killer and resurrector of Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oracle Year. Yeah. Your novel. Uh, you're a better writer of Daredevil than Chip Zdarsky. Oh, for sure. 
um, recently optioned a discovered country come uh, and your upcoming novel anyone and yes. I said good buddy to drink Manhattan's with is that what you're drinking right now or are you drinking, I am uh, drinking Manhattan. Manhattan I'm drinking Manhattan yeah absolutely um, <clears throat> so what so do you want to hit of that list I don't know let's do um well first let's make fun of chip just real quick just say <laughs> rate his daredevil on a scale of one to ten uh, and then rate yours and then we'll go into talking about your novel work well, here's the thing about Daredevil, right? So mm-hmm. do you know what Daredevil does for a living when he's not – like how does he make his money, right? Yeah, he's a lawyer. Right, exactly. Is Chip a lawyer? No. <laughs> right. I don't think Chip has at any point been a lawyer. I don't think Chip is – Has he I don't ever think had a real job? I don't, believe, I don't believe he ever has. There's no um, evidence of it for sure. He's so priv- – he was, he's, a, he's a child of privilege. <laughs> yes, that is, that is true. Just look at him. You can see it in his eyes. Yeah. He doesn't care about anything. He, he likes you know what he, you know what he cares about hands. He cares about like hunting foxes, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he, we were recording the chip episode, he refused to speak to me. That's <laughs> well, true. Yeah. Yes. Well, I get that. He hung up um, on us at one point during the call. Mm-hmm. He cares about uh, juleps. Yeah. Um, he likes juleps um, and jewels. He likes those things. Horseback um, riding. Yeah. So I mean, look, he. I, I almost can't judge him because that's how he was made, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's how he was raised. Like, he didn't know any better. But right. um, as far as writing Daredevil, you know, uh, I'll ask again. He's, he's not a lawyer, right? He's not. Well, you've got the law you... experience on him, and also you're more of a man of the people. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Drinking my man. costume vigilante. Well, <laughs> right. hey, we, yeah. oh, Ryan. Shit. Okay, that part needs really to be. That. Ryan. <laughs> That's really bad. That's really bad. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, so basically, uh, good for you, Chip. Yeah. He's <laughs> a fellow glad. creator, and I would never slug off. When I when I signed my um, initial Marvel, you know, it wasn't even like the formal Marvel contract. It was more of like when they first asked me to pitch stuff, there was a, a clause in the contract or the agreement or the, you know, the, the, the document that said you can't disparage other creators. Um, which I thought was actually, I kind of really liked it. Is that really in our contracts? I don't think it's in ours. It was, it was, so before I actually signed they, they my... They knew your history of disparaging <laughs> right, exactly. creators. Is that regardless of publisher? Um, yeah, it, it, it was, it was actually kind of a beautiful clause and I, I liked it. Um, I actually read my agreements, unlike, right. unlike <laughs> some. So oh, yeah, wait, for, I have to... Stop you there. I do text Charles all the time, and I'm like, "Hey, you know how we have this one contract for this yeah. character? Like, yeah. could you tell me how much money we're getting?" Right. <laughs> right. I, I hope that he um, hasn't looked at the agreement for this podcast because we snuck a lot of oh, stuff in there. Oh, oh man. Uh, all right. By the way, so Ryan, fast. get to work on our book. All right. Oh, my shit. my my likeness rights now. It's like I've signed away. You're gonna make an action figure of me. Hell yeah. <laughs> Good sex doll. Um. So whoa. The. <laughs> So the, the the clause in the contract says you cannot disparage other creators, other other comics creators. You can't say mm-hmm. bad things about them. You can't talk about them in a negative light. And I, there's no reason for that. It doesn't have anything to do with Marvel, right? It's just like we don't want someone working for us who's going to talk shit about other creators. Um, right. And I liked it. It it felt like this this weird. I don't know if it was a throwback from earlier days or whatever it was, but I really, it made me kind of happy um, back in the day. And so I, I pitched my eight ideas for series, uh, none of which went anywhere at that time. Like this was before I actually, I started working on um, Thunderbolts, which is the first thing I did for uh, for Marvel back in the day. 
Um, but uh, but I've, I've I've never forgotten that clause. I thought it was kind of nice. Well, Joe Casado was on our podcast, and he said that Chip has halitosis. So I think that, that clause is out the window. <laughs> Chip, man. Charles, but, but, if you don't okay. mind me asking, I wanted to ask real quick. You, we, we quickly mentioned Wolverine, and then you mentioned that Charles is the killer and the resurrector of Wolverine. Yeah. How, how does that go when you, you go to Marvel and you're like, I want to kill this major character? Like, does that require like convincing of editorial? Like, do you have to have it a wasn't certain like level that. of prestige? It wasn't like to... that at all. The okay. That was one of the first jobs I did at Marvel. And the, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter now. Like, like the, the way I got that job was um, I was in a place where I was doing a lot of work for both Marvel and DC at the same time. Um, I don't know if I mean, you remember this, Ryan, but like, I'm not sure if it's very like, I don't know, it, like it was a while ago, right? This is like, like five years ago, five, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was doing, I think seven series, seven monthly series at once and half for DC and half for Marvel. And so um, they both kind of there, there was a sense of of where which way was I going to go, and I really wanted to commit to one or the other because it was it was killing me, um, and so Marvel was like we would let we want you to do Inhuman, which obviously you and I did, mm-hmm. uh, and we also have another project that we think would be great, which is Death of Wolverine, and um, it was with Stephen Niven, who is just a brilliant, brilliant artist and has become a very close friend, and. Uh, you know, the idea was, you know, sign with us and you can do Death of Wolverine. And so for me, I was like, who the hell am I to do Death of Wolverine? And with Steve McNiven, of all people. Um, but I knew, it, for me, that project was, if I knock it out of the park, I can be A-plus list, hopefully, or A-list at least. Or like, it ele- it's going to elevate me to a level that I wasn't before. Or I will screw it up and I'll never be heard from again. But I didn't want to, like... I don't know, like not do it, right? That's silly to like, to just be like, I'm afraid I'm not going to do it. So I said yes and signed the contract and the book did, did, you know, it was great. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done. Uh, was Death of Wolverine. Um, and then as far as the return of Wolverine, the resurrection of the guy. So that's a little bit more complicated. Uh, basically they, so Wolverine was off the table for about four years which was great. Old Man Logan was in and all these different things. And then they thought they were going to bring him back. And uh, it just, and Steve was available. And so it just was like, well, what would be the fun way to do this? And so um, it was one of, again, it's kind of like Undiscovered Country or Curse Words even, like sometimes the schedules align and it just worked out that both Steve and I could do it. And so we did work with Declan Shalvey and and lots of, you know, Laura Martin, like it was amazing to do Return. Um, and so I don't know, it, it, it wasn't like a grand plan. It wasn't anything I pitched. It just was kind of right place, right time stuff. But mm. that story for like being doing one of the the biggest sort of overarching stories for Wolverine is is a it's a big deal. I mean, I, I'm one of the you know, I've told some really significant Wolverine stories and it's a character I love. And uh, so whether it's Daredevil or Black Bolt or Wolverine or Xavier, like getting to add to their story and their legacy is just I don't know. It feels pretty good. It feels pretty damn good. Hell yeah! Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that that obviously turned out very well for you. That, that that's th- those are both amazing uh, series, and it's interesting to hear that Marvel was like, "Listen, we're doing this with or without you." So if you want in, mm-hmm. <laughs> the guy's dead either way. Um, yeah, it kind of was like that, um, but I'm glad. And like you know, there, there's just panels in that book. Like McNiven is just that was McNiven and Justin Ponzer, you know who. 
you know, he, he passed and it's, it's sad, like to look at like, it's, it's funny because it was, it was five years ago. Right. And so I've been at that time, I was, I was pretty new to big two comics and now I'm, I'm not a veteran like Bendis or something like that or Casada, but I've, I've been in that business for a while. And so you look at the projects you did with different eyes and you look at the project you're offered with different eyes. And, um, there's this term that I, like I call the churn, right? So like there's, there's just, there's issues that come out every single month and there's always new material, always new stuff. And so what you want to do is try to do stuff that surfs on top of the churn that, that transcends the, just like, Oh, here's the next issue of whatever. Um, I'm not going to name any titles because every title can be something that transcends the churn, but it, uh, I feel like I've been very, very lucky to have both, uh, sort of, you know, written stories and, and have been given the opportunity to write stories that, that transcend the churn. Um, whether it's Death of Wolverine or She-Hulk or parts of Daredevil or the Darth Vader run or, you know, Kylo Ren thing I'm doing or whatever it is. Like it's, um, it's really hard to do because there's a lot of material that comes out every single month and, uh, you've got to bring your A game to everything and hopefully people respond. There's no guarantee that they will. So. Well, we brought our A games to Inhuman. Mm-hmm. And there's one guy on Twitter who the last few days has been going on and on about how great it is. And it's it was so, so great. It's so, it's so cool to see because uh, it's been it's been a while. Yeah, and uh, so the Inhuman characters kind of went through a lot, and there was a lot of you know BS around what was happening with them. But I think that's a series that a lot of people need to go back and check out because I, I feel like they were turned off by the idea of Marvel trying to make them the X Men, which I don't think that that's much of a secret that that's pretty much yeah what they were no doing. no I, at this point like I mean, let's just be honest about it right like i mean that mm-hmm. that was what was going on so but yeah but but within that i still think that we did really uh cool stuff in there was and, that where uh, you guys man, met for the first time yeah 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 um ryan look i i i saw those tweets over the last week or so and i was like yeah absolutely like this book was great and it was great at the time and it's mm-hmm. i think it's I don't know if there's going to be like a renaissance, a cultural reevaluate or like reevaluation of what we did on Inhuman, but um, I think that, and I think the Uncanny Inhuman series, and I think you know the whole kind of chunk of Inhuman storytelling was strong. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, whatever thing, it's it's like like what I was saying before, like there's the churn and things that connect with the market and things that don't. If you read all of it from Inhuman number one all the way to IVX, that's a hell of a story. I think like it's mm-hmm. it's it's a big chunk of great stuff. But they're, you know, I, the narratives take hold, right? And the narrative mm-hmm. that took hold within Human was, well, they're trying to tell us Fox has the X-Men, so these are the new X-Men, and but there's, you know, whatever. Like, Inferno's not as cool as Wolverine, and I think that's probably true, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. But but Reader and Frank McGee, or like some of the other characters we made up, were like, were awesome. No, Naja, mm-hmm. like, there's there's a lot of really sweet stuff that we did. Um, oh, yeah, I... I, I... I want Naja to appear in other things. If any Marvel creators are listening to this, put Naja in. Well, she, she might be dead after Death of the Inhumans. Yeah, but, Donnie really. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what is, re- what but is the know, problem with the Inhumans? Nothing. He just took a job. Um, I think. <laughs> yes, that's true. I think uh, Lineage was another character that I thought that was really, really neat. Um, yeah, he's got a great look, too. Yeah, Lineage and, and Lash. And, like, there's a lot to work with in the stuff that mm-hmm. we did. So. I don't Somebody flint. needs to pick up Reader mm. and Lineage and Nat, uh, Lash and uh, Naja and Flint. Flint is cool, uh, yeah. 
Well, Flynn was on the TV show. It's so funny. Like, there's this chunk of time when, like, a lot of the characters that we made up, like, Lash was on TV, Flint was on TV, Inferno was on TV, like, um, but none of them broke out, right? Like, really. Um, people, there are people who like them a lot, but, like, did they, did they explode? Not really. Um, not the way that, like, a Wolverine does or something like that, which I think right. is a shame because I think particular. I mean, the ones I think really that have the potential are Reader and Frank McGee. Um, mm-hmm. But like even like Isa was super cool and badass. Like her yep. powers, you know, like she was great. And um, you know, it is what it is. You when you when you you kind of like cast cast things out on the water and you see what happens. And I've had characters that have that have really connected with people and characters that you know I think are wonderful. And and they have they end up with like sort of a really devoted fan base, but they don't become they don't become Wolverine or anything like that. And it is what it mm-hmm. is. I you know I think of it as it's a joyful experience to even try to, right. to, you know, to like, I mean, think about what we were tasked to do, Ryan. Like they came to us and said, we're going to do this thing. We want you to launch this. We want you to create a ton of new, amazing characters for Marvel and, and knock it out of the park as much as you can. And I think we both did like there's, yeah, we, I agree. we did a really, really good book and you know, whatever it is, what it is. So We'll see what happens. I'll write him and again. That, 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 was your, that was your boy Joe Mad on there as well, right, Ryan? Um, oh my God! Yeah, and I was on email chains with Joe Mad crapping my pants when he turned uh, stuff in. Yeah, yeah, all the way through. What an incredible looking book. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it was it was beautiful from what it was, and and the other guy who drew on that book was Pepe Larraz, right? Who's oh, now yeah, yep. who's doing all the House of X stuff with with Hickman now. So. You, I don't think you can argue. And then after after we finished our Inhuman run, it was Steve McNiven did the first run on uh, on Uncanny. So like, mm-hmm. you got Joe Mad, you got Ryan Stegman, you got Pepe Larraz, you have Steve McNiven. Like the the art talent on that book was like through the through the goddamn roof, right? It was it was yeah. incredible. Everything looked extraordinary. Um, you know, I wrote all that stuff. I feel very confident and proud of it. Um, but it doesn't matter. Like you know, if if. If it's not something that the readership is ready for or wants or, or feels like it's not X-Men or whatever narrative takes hold, it is what it is. Like, Inhuman was, as I understand it, like having had conversations with, with you know, people at Marvel and stuff like that, it was an initiative that it did well, but it didn't, it didn't you know, light the house on fire or anything well, like that. Well, it had the deck stacked against it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm imploring the listeners of this show, if you haven't read it, and you may have been mad at the time because they were trying to replace the X-Men. Guess what? They didn't replace the X-Men. The X-Men are back in full force. Mm-hmm. So now just go to it with an open mind because there's really good stuff there. And, I and there's a great we have a, there's a great hardcover, right? I mean, they put in a beautiful mm-hmm. hardcover yeah. of our full all, run. Yeah. That, that hardcover was one of the coolest things that I've had because, I mean, that's a beautiful piece of... Uh, it is. It is. You know. There's a hardcover of Inhuman. There's a hardcover of Uncanny Inhuman. There's two. So Uncanny Volume 1, Volume 2. And then there's Death of X and IVX. And all of that together makes one really, really strong, big story. So check mm-hmm. it out. I'll check Charles, it out. You're, you're one of those writers that's all over the place because you got, you got your toes in so many <laughs> Thank pools. You. You got, you got, you're working for all sorts of publishers. You got so much uh, creator-owned stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're even, you're even one of those, those comic book writers that's, that's, that's a little fancier, a little classier. You're a novelist as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I try to be. <laughs> uh, and so you just had Oracle Year come out, and then you got another upcoming novel coming out. Um, what, like, I, I wanted to ask just how that that ex- experience compares, because I mean, a, a novel seems like a much more intensive 
process over a lot more period of time but maybe that's not true for you um but yeah i mean no no it is is writing a novel something that like is like a challenge or is it something that you're kind of you feel at home doing um well i started writing novels before i got into comics it was something that i because i i started as an attorney um and writing a novel was something that i thought i'd be able to yeah yeah, I mean, who didn't, right? Except Chip, except Zdarsky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, uh, I thought it was something that I would be able to do while I was practicing law that I could kind of do around the edges. Um, and I could do it all myself. Like if I had half an hour or 20 minutes, I could, I could write a chap, not a chapter, but like, you know, outline something or do some work, move, move something forward. So um, I wrote a full first novel called The Land of 10,000 Things, which exists uh, on my hard drive mostly. And... Uh, I got an agent and we took it out and it didn't sell, which was a bummer. Um, and so I started writing my second novel and uh, and I lost my agent because he went off to to do a totally different job. And it, 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 I was sort of discouraged because I'd, novels take a year, two years, three years, a long time to do. And so I, uh, I moved into comics. This is probably 2004, 2005. And I started networking and trying to put it all together. Um, but then once I had a profile in comics, I got a manager who was interested in taking my original concepts and trying to put them into Hollywood and stuff like that. And um, she asked if I had kind of anything in the, in the drawer, so to speak. And I said, well, I have this novel, that, that second novel I mentioned that I've been working on um, before I got into comics. And so I took that and I finished it and I kind of punched it up. And that was The Oracle Year, which was my first book, which came out in, in April of 2018. And it did it did really really well people seem to really like it it also had the hollywood thing um it's in development right now at tnt they were selling Uh, it at airports you were signing them in airports yeah it's it's really (coughs) it's it's hard to talk about the things that have happened without sounding like kind of an asshole a little bit um but but you know these are the things that have happened right like i wrote a novel that's when you know you've made it is when you get to do the airport tour you're going around yeah no it was it was wild like i I tweeted about it and then the 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 book the guy from hudson books we we all know hudson hudson news right like Mm -hmm. hudson news the guy i asked you know the person who chooses what books are going to be in hudson news when i tweeted about it tweeted back at me and said oh well i really love the book and i really wanted to put it in the store and you're like holy shit you know what is going on like i've been Mm -hmm. going to hudson news since i was you know little yeah, there's there's something cool about that for sure. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Um, so so the thing that I there's a lot that I like about novels. It's an extremely different world from comics. It's much bigger. Like you can tell, like the the infrastructure and the whole process is like, I don't know. It, you know, comics is is it's not it's not like indie bands. It's weird because it's it's like it's small and intimate and fast. The the pace fast, of comics yeah, is, is absolutely. really, really quick. Like you write a story and it's on the shelves in three months. Whereas, um, a novel, you work on it for a year and you turn it in and it's not on the shelf for another year. Um, yeah. but at the same time, like the, how to put this, um, the, like the, I guess the infrastructure, like, you know, like, like it's like an aircraft carrier versus like a helicopter, right? So comics are like helicopters zipping around doing these things really quickly. And then, and then novels are like aircraft carriers deploying their, like, you know, steaming across the ocean, deploying their planes. And it's, it's just a much bigger process. Um, but kind of sounds nice. Yeah, It is nice. You know, you know, what's cool about it is no artists. And I know that that's, you know, that's <laughs> tough to say. Right. But like if, if I have a scene and it's, it's actually happening less and less now than it used to, but, 
But when I was starting out, there'd be scenes, not so much with you, Ryan, but like with some artists, you'd write a scene and then you get art back and be like, well, this isn't, this like isn't at all what I imagined it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And so then you have to either give notes or you have to change the, change the script or whatever you have to do. Um, and again, it's happening less now. And I think that's partly because I'm just getting better at writing to tell the artist exactly what we're, you know, try to, you, our comic strips are supposed to be a mind meld, right? You're trying to put your mind in the artist's mind so that they see it as you see it. Um, or even better, they show you something that you didn't realize that you would, you would see, right. Which is what you're really good at. Um, you're like, I don't have to give you much and you'll just throw something incredible back at me, which is really nice. Um, but with novels, but with novels, you don't even have to worry about it. Like you can, you can, you you get to control the depth of focus, right? So if you're zoomed in, if you're zoomed out, you get to control um, the pace. You get to control the, you know, the the color, right? So like the descriptiveness. Mm-hmm. You get to control every aspect of the reader's experience, which is uh, awesome. It's also intimidating, right? Because you have to make you have to make all those decisions yourself. Whereas if I'm giving you a, you know, if I'm writing a, a script about, I don't know, who's your favorite character right now, Ryan? Venom, of course. <laughs> Who else? Uh, Supple Griffin and uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Oh, come on, it's okay. really Spider-Man. It's always Spider-Man. I know it is. So, so if I'm writing a scene about Spider-Man, I'm like, well, Spider-Man's flipping around the city and doing amazing things. You are handling, really, the heavy lifting of what that is. In a novel, I have to try to choose, am I choosing this is what the wind feels like rushing past his mask? Is it this is what his muscles feel like as he, you know, grabs a, a piece of webbing and relaxes it? This is what his wrist feels like as webbing shoots out. Um, this is what he's thinking about. Like, all of these decisions have to be made by me. And, you know, you can get that wrong, right? You can you can screw that up. So mm-hmm. I, I love writing novels. I think that that's a path I'm going to be on for hopefully a long, long time. I mean, the new book is all signals go. It looks really good as far as how that's going to be received. Um, but I don't know. But I read I, the first couple chapters of the new, for, new book. You want me to spoil uh, it? I Yeah, spoil it. Uh, well, impressively, you wrote it taking place in Michigan. Yeah, which absolutely. Uh, makes me happy. But mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to spoil it. It was really good, though. And I also will say what you were just talking about. Um, I feel like your comic book work has to have informed what you do on this because uh, you can tell with the with your the way that you describe scenes and everything that you're a very visual thinker. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. So. It's kind of fed into its into it. Uh, I don't know. I think it's cool. Well, I'm, with, or- <laughs> I, I, with I Oracle guess... Year, you you had a bit of a it was a bit of a thriller with kind of like a like a supernatural or like almost like sci-fi kind of twist to it. Does this new yeah. one, the new book, anyone does it have anything like that? Is this does it have any kind yeah, of twist to yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So so I'll, I'll give you the premise of both real quickly. So so the premise of the Oracle Year was that a guy, just a random 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 late twenties dude in, in New York City, has a dream where he gets a hundred and eight things that are going to happen over the next year. They're basically predictions of the future. And and when they start coming true, he's like, oh my God, what am I going to do with these things? What am I going to, how am I going to use them? Am I going to try and sell them? Am I going to try and help people? Am I going to try and warn people? He doesn't know what he's going to do. And, and he has, essentially does all of those things very early on in the book. And then as the information that he's put into the world starts getting out there, the world starts changing and and evolving uh, because of the info he has in, he's put into the world. And so he he doesn't expect it to go that way. And, and it all goes very, very 
you know, it's like when you, when you, I don't know, it's like a Rube Goldberg machine that he kind of kicks off and he doesn't realize all the things that are going to happen as he's done it. So it, it, um, it begins, it's very fast paced. It's a thriller. It's very exciting and, and so on and so forth. And it's really the, the question that, that book asks is what if there was someone out there who actually knew the future? Like, what would you do? What would you ask him? What would you, how, how would the world change if somebody actually out there really, really knew what was going to happen? And it examines that from a, you know, stock market, religion, politics, you know, pop culture, all, all the way the world, the world would change. So that's the Oracle year. Um, the new book, uh, asks a similar question, which is what if you could be literally anyone else, if you could, if you could choose anyone else in the world and you could put your mind in their body and, and, and be them for some period of time. Uh, and, and so the, the premise is that in chapter one, a technology is invented that, that lets you do that. It's called the flash and it, it that's now, um, and, it's sort of accidental and different things happen, but basically somebody somebody invents a tech that lets you lets you put your mind in, in anyone else's body. Uh, and then chapter two flashes forward 25 years later and we see how the world has been changed. Dramatically. It's changed in ways I did not expect. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the whole point, right? That's what that's yeah. why you read a fun book. And so no, the, the, and every chapter of the book alternates between the present timeline and then the future timeline. And so basically what we see as the book goes on is, is the way that the tech became ubiquitous and, and it became like smartphones or anything like that, like the way tech tends to do. And, and the way that the ability to be in anyone else's body changes the world. Like, I mean, so people, people commute to work. Like if you're going to, I don't know, if you're going to take a trip to Japan, you don't, you don't fly there on a plane. You flash into a vessel in Japan, somebody who's willing to rent themselves out for two weeks to be your vacation body, uh, and and you have a great time. And there's somebody who's kept themselves fit and like and and, and handsome or, or beautiful and good. And so like you have a great time on your vacation being this person. When it's done, you flash back. Um, or if you're going to commute to work, you might you might live in London. And you commute to work in Montevideo because it's. It's just, you know, that's where the work is. And you just flash into a vessel in Montevideo and you split the you split the wages at the end of the day. Or if you're a surgeon you or a soldier or, or a singer or whatever, you let, you're just zipping all over. the. Everyone is always moving into different bodies all the time. And so the novel looks at how that would affect the world and how we would think about identity and how we would think about ourselves and how we would think about physicality and all those things. Um, and just like Oracle Year, like I, I brought... Like the, you know, when you read a comic book, if you do a comic book right, if you have an issue right, when the issue ends on that last page, you're like, oh, fuck. Can I say that? Right. Okay. I guess. Ugh. All right. Yeah. You're like, oh my god, I, I can't. I have to get the next issue, right? And so, in in my novels, I want the last sentence of every chapter to generate that emotion. And you're like, oh my god, and you have mm-hmm. to. You just can't stop. And the nice thing about a book is that it's like a trade, right? It's like a trade paperback. You have the whole thing there. Um, and so people tell me a lot that they read my books, they can't stop. You know, they, they read Oracle Year and then they start and then they, they, they're done with it super quickly because they can't put it down. Yeah, very and, propulsive. Exactly. And and I, I hope that anyone is the same way. It seems based on early reactions, it seems to be that way. People are reading it, you know, in, in the same way that they wrote Oracle Year. Um, and I think I could do a lot worse than being a novelist who generates that feeling for readers. So, <coughs> well, Selfishly, the best part about you writing novels is that I get to tell people, oh, yeah, my friend, he writes novels. Yes. Yeah, you may have seen him at Hudson News. <laughs> Does that make you feel like a classy person? Yeah. I'm friends with I a mean, novelist. 
when I say I, when I say I work in comic books, I mean people are just confused. You know? <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Some people think it's cool. Some people are like, like what? what? Do you write the words? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, but yeah, I, I read the Oracle Year. Everybody should read it. It was really really fun, and uh, what I've read so far of anyone is excellent. So anyone Thanks, is coming man. out in December. Is that right? Yeah, it's out December third. Um, there is a a very cool kind of fun pre-order thing I'm doing with it. So pre-ordering books, just like in comics, pre-ordering novels is the same thing. You go to Amazon, wherever you want, pre-order it. Um, but it's kind of a big ask. So I'm doing this this uh, like an incentive for people to order the book. And so it's if anyone who pre-orders the book, if you email me proof to be anyone with anyone at gmail.com, like your receipt or whatever it is, your 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 order page. Um, I will send you a, uh, a super cool, um, like enamel pin we made for the cover of the book. Ryan, you went red. You look, you look scary all of a sudden. I just changed my, changed my lighting. Wow. Terrifying. You look like the shining. Um, so you get this really cool pin, you get a, uh, like a, ch- like a chapter sampler of the book, like a little teaser of the book. And then I'll, I'll mail you this, this like letter from, from one of the, the organization in the book that runs the flash and it's all like customized to you. It's really fun. So you get that, you get that regardless. And it's just like kind of a little bonus, but they also you're entered into a contest to win a trip to New York city, America. And that is a lot of incentives and (laughs) trade bodies with Charles soul. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) it, Ryan. So, so the way that it works is, um, so it's going to be the winner and a guest. I'll fly him to New York. I'll put him up for a couple nights in the city. Um, and then I'll give them a list of all the stuff I like to do in, in, in town, right? So all the things that are fun for me to do, the, the places I go running, the places I eat, the places I drink, the places I write, the places I shop, you know, whatever. Um, and then they can do whatever of those they choose to do, or they could just bum around New York and do other stuff. Um, but one of those things they can do with me. So I will show up, and if they want to go running, we'll go running. If they want to go have drinks, we'll go have drinks. If they want to go to the movies, whatever it is. So... Uh, I call it the be me giveaway because the whole book's about body switching, right? So it's a chance to, if you want to, to experience my life a little bit. And if not, then you at least get to go to New York city for a week or a weekend, whatever. So, um, yeah, so anyone, but that's only open till December 3rd because that's when the book comes out. So it's for pre-orders only. So if you pre-order the book, email proof to be anyone with anyone at gmail.com, you're entered in all that. Are you going to do and that? Pre-ordering Ryan? is done through Amazon and whatnot. Yeah, Amazon. If you go to my website, just there's a there's a there's a page just charlesoul.com/anyone. There's links there that can take you to just you know whatever. You can also sign up with my my uh, my email newsletter. There it comes up monthly, and it has uh, I'll you know I'm I'm hyping it up big time. But it's I you know we've got a lot of interest in it. A lot of people have have applied or whatever you want to say or entered into the contest, and I think that's going to be. I'm kind of looking forward to it, you know, like whoever. Super exciting. Yeah, I'm going to have to jump in on that. Maybe you and I will be hanging out, Charles. Yeah. I won't be pre-ordering it because I fully expect to be given one for free. (laughs) You've given me a PDF. I plan on getting a copy of the soft cover and the hard cover. Some enamel pins, and I want to win this contest also. Thank you. Well, you know what? You know what they they uh, they call so so when you're when you're working with a um, you know book company whatever publisher they they send out copies of the book right before publication when the book is done so that people can talk about it read it and and talk it up and they call it the big mouth mailing and who better to be part of a big mouth mailing big mouth stegman than ryan big mouth stegman (laughs) thank you 
That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. Yeah, well, you know, I try. I try. <laughs> well, that's super exciting. Make sure that you jump in on that, everybody. And we, we have a lot of Twitter questions piled up here for you. Oh, my God. All right, let's do that. Let's start doing that, huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so we got uh, we got one from uh, a little guy named Matthew Rosenberg. He says, uh, "Who's your favorite Inhuman, and why is it Inferno?" Oh gosh, my favorite Inhuman. Um, man, I like I like Wolverine. <laughs> I like I like I'm I'm I like Kitty Pride. Um, I think there's a lot of cool storytelling to do with Colossus. Sure. Uh, so because they're the same, right? Right, mm-hmm. Ryan. They're basically the same, oh, yeah. right? I mean, there was no difference. Yeah, no difference whatsoever. So. I I remember we I I I guess I can tell the story. I mm. remember how I had put like every character I made them sort of uh, messed up looking. Yeah. Uh, like they all had something on their face, something that they couldn't hide. Yes. Because my thinking was um, these character that 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 this teragenesis is an affliction, right? Yes. Like yeah. they would all not be the thing that they've become if they could choose. And, uh, that I was then told, well, they don't, the TVN doesn't want you to do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah, it's yeah, too yeah, hard. Yeah, sure. And then I was like, Oh, well I, I explained why. And everybody was like, yeah, no, we agree with you, but we can't do that anymore. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it's like, Oh my God, all the meddling. Yeah, there was a little, little bit of meddling. It was it was funny to work on a project that felt like there was there were so many people paying attention to it, and so mm-hmm. many people like, you know, with with with, I don't know. But with it their, wasn't selling like five hundred thousand copies or anything. But it felt like that with the amount of yeah, you know, how much they wanted it to work. And you know, right. we could we can you know talk through why that was maybe in private over a drink sometime. Yeah. But um, you know, it was I don't I kind of don't care right because both I no, mean look I at. Look, your career and my career are, are, you know, we're blowing up, Ryan. We're blowing up. Yeah. And so it was, it was a chance to do a thing that was truly, like, truly unique and extraordinary in mm-hmm. superhero comics, which is to we make up. We still did what we wanted. Exactly. And we, and we did a hell of a job, like, to go back to it. Like, we told fantastic stories about really cool new characters and did really awesome things, I think. And so, you know, the rest of it, I don't really care about. Like, that, we, I think we did our job really, really well. And that's it. I agree. Absolutely. Um, we have from at Bento Bandit. He says, no questions, just excited for Kylo Ren. And I'll, I'll throw in a question <laughs> there because I'm also very excited for Kylo Ren. I, uh, mm-hmm. I loved your uh, your recent Darth Vader series. That was that was probably my favorite of the new canon stuff that's been added to Star Wars. Uh, I thought it was incredible. Um, and I wanted to ask you what your creative freedom was like um, for working within the Star Wars property. Um, it depends, right? I mean, Vader was was freer than some, right? I would say like Poe, I did a long Poe Dameron series, 36 issues, uh, that I feel like was less free in some ways than Vader was. Um, and part of that's because, you know, the new trilogy was happening. And so right. the, there's a lot of, uh, navigation and maneuvering around the storytelling that hadn't, that wasn't out yet. Um, whereas with Vader, it was set right after episode three, and so there wasn't a lot of material that was happening. There was really kind of like Rebels, but Rebels was was like 10 years on. So there was a lot of opportunity to tell stories about what I call baby Vader, like Vader when he was just in his suit for the first time. And um, So cute. Yeah, yeah, adorable, <laughs> horrifying. Um, but, but, you know, it's also I, – I, I don't know how to put this without sounding like kind of a – 
I don't know, like story group and Lucasfilm want their property, want Star Wars to be magnificent. Like that is their goal, just like Marvel does, whatever. But Star Wars, like Lucasfilm doesn't put out as much material. And so they it's harder for them to justify like a massive storytelling thing that isn't magnificent, particularly when it takes one of their flagship characters like Darth Vader. And so, um, so, so, but, so, but you can kind of like earn their trust, I guess. Uh, and so the, there were some really big swings in the Vader series, like the way that it was, the way that it played out. Um, and, and it wasn't my first Star Wars book, right? I did, I did a Lando book. I did an Obi-Wan and Anakin book and I did Poe Dameron and then I did Vader. And over the course of that time, I feel like they, they felt like, okay, this is a guy that we can trust to, to, if he proposes an idea that is kind of like, you know, you know, it sounds a little outlandish, let's at least see how it lands on the page. And it's not like they stop giving me, like they give me notes constantly. Like I, like I have a lot of notes on Kylo Ren. I just did a big pass on Kylo Ren this morning, but, um, but in the ideal situation, it's a working relationship where you're like, well, look, I love Star Wars as much as you guys do. I know that you know more about the big picture than I do, but I, I want to tell a story that feels meaningful to the fans and is something that is going to feel as, as impactful and like mythological, right, as, as Empire Strikes Back did or what you, you name it, right? And sometimes it gets there, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but I think Vader, for, it's just, you know, the way people respond to it seems to be a story that, that really pe- that kind of got to that level, which makes me feel really happy because I love Star Wars. I love it so much. Absolutely. Um, we got another one from uh, Symbio Bro. Uh, this one says, since this is the Stegman show and half of the Venom creative team, although minus mm-hmm. Tony this episode, of course, Charles, how was it writing for Agent Venom on the Thunderbolts? And thank you so much for that scene with him and Valkyrie in the annual, by the way. Um, it was cool. I, I think one of the things I like about Venom, and I, I realize I'm talking to, like, to, you know, Venom Boy, Um Venom, Venom man. <laughs> your your Twitter handle is Venom boy. I know. Anyway, it's car. It should be Carnage boy right now, but yeah. Um, it's how flexible that character is, right? Like you know what you're doing is so different than what I did, and is so mm-hmm. different than what like you know, you know the creators of the past did. Like Venom is a character that you know I guess it makes sense because he's kind of a blob, really. Um, you can put him into any any configuration you want, but you know when I was when I was writing him, he was he was Flash Thompson, right? Like Flash Thompson who has, has legs blown off in, 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 um, in wartime. And, mm-hmm. and the Venom symbiote was his ability to be abled again. He was a disabled veteran who was able th- via the Venom symbiote, which is a fascinating set of stuff to explore. Right. And it's again, super different than what you guys are doing. Um, which is kind of great. Right. And it, and it was very different than went like, you know, go all the way back to secret wars too. And, and then, you know what happened afterwards and and certainly with eddie brock like the early days and like it's just the somehow the metaphor of venom has become it's something that just works in a lot of different situations and it's really cool well i think the interesting thing is is that it's really not it's real when you really break it down it's not just one character it's two characters it's the symbiote and sure. it's whoever the symbiote is infecting so right there's always like there's a million different iterations of that yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, so, so I, I thought it was great. I mean, Venom came into the book uh, a little further along. Like he wasn't in it from the beginning. He joined a little. He joined the roster a little bit further. 
um, further on in my run. And uh, it was nice because it, it, it gave a little, you know, when you're writing a team book, you kind of, you run through the different iterations and, and different, uh, you know, the ways they could interact not quickly, but you know, there's a point when you kind of you're running out of material a little bit. You've you've run right. the beats you can think of, and so adding that's why you add new blood to it, and and uh, and bringing Venom in and Flash Thompson at the time was really cool, and I think it worked really well. For sure, um, we got another question uh, from uh, Cardiac Stan account, uh, and his his question is, what are his thoughts on Eisner Man's Daredevil? But we kind of already went over that it's not as good as Charles Soule's mm-hmm. Daredevil. Um, so we'll just we'll just move inauthentic. On yeah, inauthentic. Right. We got another one from uh, Star Commander. He asks, uh, which you enjoyed working on more, if you can pick between your children, the Oracle Year or anyone? Uh, well, they're very different, right? So Oracle Year was my first my first novel, my first published novel, and and anyone is my second. And so with your first one, you're kind of like, well. You know, I love this book. I'm going to do my best with it. But if it if it doesn't go anywhere, okay, maybe I'm not a novelist. Maybe that's how it is. But then Oracle Year did well, and so anyone comes with this weight of expectations where you're like, well, shit. You know, like I, I can I do it again? Can I take? Can I just have an idea that I think is really good and turn it into something and hopefully people like it? Uh, and it was very, it was hard. It was really challenging to to motivate to do it and to 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 grind through it and then edit it and shape it and, and all of it. But, uh, the reaction to it has been very, very, very strong so far. Um, people love it. Advanced reviews have been really great. There's been some incredible blurbs like from really, really strong authors. And, uh, you know, again, I shouldn't announce this either, but we just sold like over, over last weekend that sold to Hollywood too. Um, so, Another exclusive. Yeah, you got this. This is, a big is why one. you bring Charles Soule on your podcast. Um, um, so, it, what it felt like was like, okay, this is a job that I can do. You know, this is a job that I should I should be doing and should be pursuing, and it felt really good. I definitely uh, think. I mean, I think you're gonna have a long career in novels. It's it's pretty clear to me, at least. Thanks, man. I hope so. I don't know if you, I don't know how much you've listened, Charles, but we have a recurring segment on this show called uh, Ryan tells people to go buy some books on Amazon. Um, okay. So we have a question here from KT Bowie who asks you: Are there any books or online sources that you recommend for people who are interested in learning to write comics? And I would say just to write in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the, the first thing I always send people to who are looking to learn how to write is is On Writing by Stephen King. That book I think is just spectacular. Um, it's it's both kind of it's like half biography and and half really really practical writing guide. So that there's a book that I like called Force for the Trees, which is also really good. I use that a lot. I'm sort of just thinking about kind of the writing business in the process. Um, I'm writing these down. I'm probably going to order these. I've done <laughs> I've done that on the show before where I just started ordering stuff that somebody was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, as far as writing comics, I mean, you know, Bendis wrote a, a great book uh, called Words and Pictures. Um, uh, Fred Van Lentzi wrote a book. I'm going to look it up. I should know the title off the top of my head, but it's really good. Uh, hold on. I'll say this while you're doing that. The Stephen King one on writing, I haven't written that much, but I highly recommend it. I think the number one thing that that book does is demystify the writing, the practice of writing. Mm -hmm. Like it made it seem 
it made it seem like a goal, an achievable goal. Whereas before it just was like, oh, those they're like magicians, you know, I don't know how they do that. Yeah, I think that's right. It's really a lot of that is just, you know, you sit down and you type and you 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 mm-hmm. you write a bunch of garbage and then you're like, mm-hmm. oh, OK, I know it's garbage, but maybe there's a way that I could fiddle with it a little bit. Make make maybe this sentence a little bit better, maybe this sentence a little bit better. And then over time and it's it's really I mean, the metaphor that I always think of when I'm I'm dealing with the the idea of creating a manuscript um, and it's very it's you know it's very obvious because what are you looking at when you're looking at a manuscript that doesn't exist you're looking at a blank page you're looking at a, a, a your computer screen or a sheet of paper that's blank it's like a big sheet of marble right it's like a big 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 chunk of stone that you have mm-hmm. to then carve down and turn into something uh, and if you're to do that, you have to think of it the same way you think of, of, of carving a big chunk of marble, right? That you know that that is not going to happen in a day. And you cannot think of it as, as that. You have to think of it as like mo- like microscopic progress every day. And it's going to take a year or two years before you have something you really think is good. Um, you know, uh, it, it's really a it, – it's an iterative process. Novel writing is not something that is fast and quick to do it really, really well. Um, the, the book, no, it's like friend, with anything it, you have to enjoy the process. Oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Um, the book by Fred Van Lent and Greg Pak, both brilliant writers is called make comics like the pros. Um, so yeah, I guess I'd recommend all of those. Um, but it's, it's just, it's mostly patience, you know, it's mostly patience and understanding that not everything you like, there's this, I guess the biggest advice I would give about writing of any kind is that being being willing to accept that what you're doing in the early days doesn't have to be great right it's 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 more about creating things than it is about creating great things like i don't like i'm not in the position where i'm going to create a you know a whatever like a dark net whatever your, your your sort of mount rushmore beautiful things is like dark net returns or mice and man or whatever it might be like that takes an extraordinary amount of, of, of craft and skill and, and living and life and all these things that, that don't necessarily happen in, in a vacuum. And just because you like things that are that good doesn't mean you can make things that are that good. You have to make a lot of shitty things for a long time. And you have to make a lot of mediocre things. Then you have to make a lot of good things. Then you have to make some great things. Then you, and then if you're lucky, you can make a masterpiece. At the top of our field, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, Ryan, but like I think at the top of our field, it's mostly a lot of people making great things for a career, right? And mm-hmm. every once in a while, one of those people generates a masterpiece, but it's very, very rare. Um, right. And, you know, it's, it's actually, it's a lot of people creating good things, some people creating great things, and every once in a while, a masterpiece pops up. So, and some people making trash. Well, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. But you know, let's name names. Well, I have a, I have that clause in my contract, <laughs> so I can't. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's so. So I guess it's it, the advice I would give to aspiring writers is sort of forgive yourself, right? Like forgive yourself for writing stuff that isn't as good as you think you can be, but don't stop. Forgive yourself and don't stop. Like write something that isn't up to your where you think you could be or where you want to be, and and. Um, and keep going because the truth is like, you know, I love anyone, right? I love Oracle year. I love inhuman. I love, you know, Kylo Ren. Like these are books I'm very, very proud of, but I wouldn't say anyone's a masterpiece, right? I wouldn't say anyone is like, you know, there's always better work that I think I'm going to be able to do. Um, and I think even if you write a masterpiece, you probably feel that way, right? Like the next thing I'll, uh-huh. I do will be better. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, and if, 
you know, and otherwise you stop making stuff, right? Yeah, totally. And like you look at even these tweets this last week about Inhuman, right? Like, so people are finding this who who would not have read it before because they're like, well, it's not the X Men, and they're like, well, shit, right. this is good comics, and and things like Marvel Unlimited and whatever, like making this stuff available is great, but. Mm-hmm. You know, if again, if I were to give advice to a writer, any aspiring writer is just write a lot and never stop and never, you know, seek out feedback, seek out, uh, you know, constructive criticism, but then just move on and write another thing, write another thing. Don't put all your eggs in any one basket as far as any project, because there's you need to be able to write for the, your entire life if you really want to do it. For sure, a lot of uh, a lot of these people on Twitter want to see, uh, including uh, Juan Cookie Girl Chango or Chango, and then we also got Josh Fielding here. People want to see uh, Reader and Blindspot. Are these characters that you're hoping to see more from soon? And where would you where would you think that you'd want them to show up? Well, they were both left in a spot where, um, I mean, Reader. You remember how I like how I described that guy early on? Like you did such a great job with Reader and Forey, right? So Reader is a blind and human who has the power where anything he reads becomes real. And he can do it three times in a day until he has to, or three times until he has to sleep. And the first one's pretty, like the first manifestation's very strong, second one's half that strong, and then the third one's kind of kind of weak and barely there. And then if he sleeps, that can all get recharged. Um, so he's kind of re- rewriting reality with, with anything he reads. And it was over the course of Inhuman, Uncanny Inhumans, it was all sort of developed in this very detailed way, which I thought was awesome. Like, he's a really cool character. He showed up in Daredevil. He showed up in Weapon Lost. Um, and people loved him. And and I think most of that's probably because of the dog you made up, Brian. But, like, I, I, I would love to write a reader, like, you know, give me a six-issue series about reader. I could, I could dig into that and make it, like, a really, really cool thing. Um, there's a fan base for that. I think it could, it, you know, it could happen. Um, yeah, there's massive potential with that character. For sure. Um, and then in Blindspot was a character, or is a character, who is who in my Daredevil run is Daredevil's uh, protege, basically. It's kind of his apprentice. And, and his thing was that um, he's Chinese. He's born in China and was brought over here. He's, he's a DACA kid, right? So he, he, he's an undocumented immigrant, uh, but he was brought here when he was very young by his mother. So he's grown up in the United States his whole life, um, and he's very brilliant. He's very smart, as a lot of Marvel characters are, Marvel superheroes are. And he invented, sort of self-invented an, an invisibility suit. And so he can turn himself invisible. He's got great fighting skills, all these cool things. Um, and it worked well with Daredevil because Daredevil obviously could see him even when he was invisible because he has the radar sense. So Blindspot goes, his name's Sam Chung in the comic, and he goes through this really great journey through the run. He's really cool. Um and has a lot of adventures uh but ultimately it's either whether i do it or somebody else is like well blind spot's really cool uh a martial artist who can turn invisible is like a really kind of a neat character uh with the background that he's got but but marvel you know i mentioned the churn before right so the churn is constant and there's always new characters being invented there's always new stuff going on and if if the spotlight doesn't shine on your characters or what you're doing, then they're just going to be lost because other people are doing other things that they want to put that spotlight on, which is fine. It's okay. Um, I don't, you know, blind spot had the spotlight for a long time. I, I mean, I wrote Daredevil for like four years. Um, Reader was in the in, in humans universe for three years or whatever we did. You know, he was a big deal for all that. And then I brought him back for weapon lost. Um, but ultimately it's about other writers picking these characters up and deciding to do things with them because, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be a Marvel superhero writer, really, like moving on. Like, I'm sure I'll do things from here and there, you know, from time to time. But I have a lot of other things happening. And so 
it's it's ultimately whether or not other writers see potential in these characters want to do things with them or if i end up doing a beat here and there with with some of these characters that i like and, and some of the stories that i do moving forward or but, if i just start drawing them into panels man be my them. guest be my guest just put <laughs> put, put 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 reader and venom put blind spot and venom you know Hell yeah. I mean, you know what? Here's the thing. Blindside could turn invisible, right? So he's, he's technically, he's in every panel of every comic. He is, yeah, he's there in spirit. Yeah, thousand percent. Not in spirit, in, in like he's really there. He's, he's invisible. Corporeally there. <laughs> All right. All right. You're, you're like stressing. Are you exhausted, Ryan? You okay? Oh, I'm doing great. They, <laughs> l- listen. We talk about this all the time. There's a there's a part. Yep, Griffin knows. There's a part of this podcast where I fall apart and I start leaning back and doing things like stretching. I'll and lean back usually you get. The, yeah, I think you get the best stuff out of me then because I, then I just start really going for it. So. Okay. Well, we can we, right. we can we can wrap up pretty quick. We got uh, one more question here that was given by both. Seth no, I want to go all night. Oh, you mm-hmm. want to go all night? Well, we don't have wine. Yeah. There's no wine, so I, oh, I don't know how well yeah. that would go. Yeah, my my drink is empty. Just about. I got one oh. more sip. Yeah, so if we want to wrap it up, we got a question from Paul and Timmy. They both want to know that uh, going from the premise of Charles's book, Ryan and Charles, if you guys if you guys became each other for one day, how would you take advantage of that opportunity? Oh, uh, no, that's really a bad. Uh... Let's see. What would I do? Well. I first I'd I'd access Charles's bank account. <laughs> um, uh, I'd clean him out. Um, what else would I do? I don't know, just cool New York shit. Yeah. If I, I mean, wait, if I if I was in, I wouldn't be able to play the guitar suddenly because no, you, you wouldn't have that skill set. You would you would be running me, but you right. wouldn't have my skills. So we're okay. just switching brains well, here. That's how the premise works. Right. It's like switching uh-huh. consciousnesses. All right. Uh, I'm definitely going, uh, I'd drain his bank account. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I would be in Detroit, right? So I would go, I don't know, I'd go into like Cass Corridor and go to some cool bars. I'd hang out. Um, I'd like play with it your kids. Nicer than mine so far. I would like, you know, I don't know, like run around and... Uh, Go to the park and like push your kids on the swing. Give them the things they don't get, you know, like you know. Yeah, pay attention to <laughs> yeah exactly. I would, I would show them. Uh, I would, I would, be, you know, be there for them. I would ask them what they needed. Um, I would, you know, consult them on their aspirations, stuff like that, Ryan. I would do that. You just give them a good father for a day. <laughs> yeah, but you're gonna spoil them. They're gonna change. <laughs> They're gonna be happy children instead of you know. Kids that stay out of my face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is a joke. I love my kids. (laughs) Clearly. Charles, I was hoping you would say that you'd be excited that for a day you'd be a permanent host of this podcast, but I guess you're just wanting to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, maybe you could do that for me. You could knock out like six episodes so I don't have to do this for (laughs) six weeks. Yeah, cool. Super cool. (laughs) Sounds cool. All right. Well, I guess that'll bring us to the end of this episode of Stegman and his amazing friends. Thank you so much, Charles, for being here. Um, yes, if you want to, if you want to let everybody know, uh, we we heard about the the contest that everybody should enter. Is there anything else they should mm-hmm. check out? Anywhere they should go follow you? No, I mean, the, look. Uh, I mean, the truth is, there's a. I put out a ton of stuff all the time. I mean, I'm on Twitter. That's the best way to keep up with what I'm doing, uh, which is just Charles Soul, my name. 
Um, my website is charlesoul.com. I do a monthly newsletter, which, uh, is which keeps chips newsletter. <laughs> of course it is. Which keeps you just up to date on, on everything I'm doing, whether it's star Wars or my own novels or Marvel stuff or Hollywood or whatever I'm doing, you know, fun little bits and pieces, process stuff, whatever. Just, just go to charlesoul.com. You can subscribe. It's very easy. Um, and then again, my next book, anyone is out December 3rd. You go to trollsoul.com slash anyone. You can enter the uh, you can pre-order the book and then enter the contest to come to New York for a weekend and with a guest and and hang out and be me and and hang Dan out with Charles me and bank account. yep all the thing whatever you want to do while I am off parenting Ryan's children. <laughs> all right, yeah, great. And Ryan, you know they can follow you, right? You're at Ryan Stegman if they want to. Um, yeah, and, and people can come see me in Vegas this weekend. Wow. I'm going to be in Vegas. Uh, you doing Torpedo? Yep. Oh, that's a great time. You're going to love that. That's a really yeah, cool... Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really... Like, John is, is oh, yeah. amazing. And I guess I should promote that. Yeah, I'm going to be signing at Torpedo Comics this, uh, sat- this coming Saturday. Um, oh, the day this podcast comes out. So that's not very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, well, no, I mean, tell John I said hello and give my best in the whole thing. Like, that was it. Like, I can't wait to go back. That was such a great time. All right. get, get out yeah. there well, today. You, we should go do it at the same time sometime. Oh, totally. Charles totally. and I have spent some good times at the uh, at the blackjack table. So. Oh, my God. Oh. Absolutely, we have. Yeah. Well, stop listening to this podcast. Throw it in the bin. Go see Ryan right now. Um, and uh, also send us an email. We, uh, we got another mailbag coming up super soon. So you should send an email into Stegman and Friends at gmail.com uh let us know what you're thinking of the show you can tweet to the show at stegman show like i said follow ryan stegman at ryan stegman uh i am at tales to astonish we got griffin here silently on the recording though usual usually is the charismatic charismatic host of the show um but he's sitting there quietly being the best rewind boy possible making sure we don't sound like shit go follow him at griffin share griff griff sheridan and uh yeah that'll be that'll be it for this episode thanks again charles and uh, we'll see you guys next week. And stay amazing, friends. Is that what we say at the end of the show? Yeah, we do now. Stay amazing, <laughs> friends. 